What a start for Brad Hughes. 180 metres to go. Looking good. Oh, what a shot. What a shot from Brad Hughes. Oh, my goodness. What a finish for Bradley Hughes. Easy number five, joining the lead. An amazing victory. For the second time, Brad Hughes wins the Australian Masters. This time by five strokes. For the most part, the golfing public see the game through the PGA Tours of the world. Each week, we get to watch the cream of the crop play on television, and we often forget the journey and the sacrifices most of these players have made to reach the upper echelon. For every player on the PGA Tour, there are a hundred other golfers toiling away in relative obscurity, chasing mini tours just to make ends meet. Mark Anguano is a success story on the mini tours of California. As yet, he has been unable to make the leap to the biggest stage. But that may change soon, as he has now found a game that works well, travels well, and has gathered confidence to take that extra leap in the upcoming years and get his shot at the biggest stage in golf. We tend to forget about the chases, and that's what this episode of Bradley Hughes Golf Podcast is all about to aspire all players looking at reaching the PGA Tour via the Pro-Am circuits and mini tours of the world. Hopefully, Mark's story will give them the inspiration to keep forging ahead and turn their dreams into reality. Welcome to Bradley Hughes Podcast, Mark Anguano. He's a California native, born and bred, still lives there. And this is going to be a fascinating podcast because a lot of my other ones I've have established superstars of the game and talking about their history and where they're at but Mark's uh he's been at it toiling on the pro tour for about six years or so now and making some progress and steps along the way and had some great success recently disqualified for the Corn Ferry Tour which I know you played one season in the past 2017 so I'm sure that's a relief to get back out there and start playing in the big stuff again for you. Yeah, it's been it's been a whirlwind the last couple of years, but I'm really excited just to get through Q School. That was a that was a long and challenging process this year. Yeah, and there was uh, there was a touch and go thing. Everyone sort of heard the story about the OB stake and things like that. But, uh, you know, some of these things are meant to be. I remember when I first got my PGA card, I uh, we were playing out your way in Santa Barbara, Lompoc area yeah sand oh Piper, yeah uh sandpiper course and i think i can't remember the name of the other one but you'll know it um and i birdied my last hole i didn't play very good early each round and i sort of have three or four birdies the last seven or eight holes and shoot one two under even par and i remember i birdied my last hole and i went out on the final round that was in the days it used to be six rounds and i started off you know it had rained a lot and i started fattening some wedges and i made a double and i made a triple and i was basically shot myself in the foot and it just kept raining so hard that they cancelled the day no way wow and cancelled the tournament so they made it a five round tournament instead of restarting that round or doing anything so little lucky things like that happened for me along the way so maybe this is your bit of luck you want to talk us through what happened yeah, it's kind of a 
tricky situation. I just remember it all happening so fast. But it, this is the third round of final stage, um, teeing off in the second group of the day on the harder course because there's two courses at final stage. And I think I started the day, uh, what was I? I think I was in the top 20 around there um, with two rounds to go. So there's still a lot of golf left. But anyways, I birdied the first hole. Got off to a great start. And the second hole at, at the Magnolia course, it's a par five. The wind's off, off the left to right. It's not really a hole you can get in two for, for a par five. It's a three-shot hole. And it just did not fit my eye at all. With the wind coming off the left, I love hitting cuts with the driver. And so I was just like, screw it. I'm going to hit three wood, put it in play. Um, and I just came way out of it, blocked it way right. There's out of bounds that sneaks up, up, up on the right. And there was some hazard there too. But anyways, I asked my caddy, I was like, should I hit another one? He's like, no, I think it's okay. And so I was like, okay, I'll just, we'll just go up there and see how it is. And we get up there and there's, we see my ball. We see the OB stake right next to it. And then I was like, oh man, this is, this is going to be really close, but it looked pretty much out by a few inches. Um, and we just get up there and yeah, according to the two stakes we saw, uh, it was really close, but it was definitely out. And I just wanted to make sure the rules official, we saw him down further down the fairway and called him over just to get the string out because they didn't have uh, lines. They didn't uh, put paint for lines. Um, they usually just circle around each stake and said, uh, so they know where the stakes go or f- like throughout the week. And so he pulls out the string, double checks it, and it's out by like three inches. And so I'm like, oh man. But before he called it out of bounds officially, I kept telling my caddy, for some reason, the stake that we saw right in front of us, it was like kind of slanted, which I don't know. If you're hosting an event and you've played in a bunch of these events, you kind of, realize how while they put stakes in they're pretty well put in and they're pretty straight up and down it's the little things like that that you can you can tell for some reason but i just remember this the stake being like slightly slanted and i was like oh that's really interesting i kept telling my caddy so i pick up my ball because i was out and i start walking back to the tee and my caddy stays there with the rules official and walks up to the stake and he realizes there's no paint around that stake and so the rules are apparently, I guess they're supposed to be paying around every stake because that's where the official put the stake for before the week started. And so my caddy goes up to the rules official and says, Hey, there's no pain around the stake. Uh, what, what's going on here? Does that mean this stake was placed here? Like by some random person, because where the course was set up is there's a lot of houses on both sides of the course and the, the backyard is kind of like, uh, mesh together with the course for some reason they're really close to the course and the rules official goes up to the stake and realizes there's no paint around it and so he he's all confused double checks with all the other rules officials on the walkie-talkie and confirms that that stake is not supposed to be there so it's been put there by the house owner probably and i think they figured out it was put there by the homeowner they he didn't want anyone near his yard (laughs) (laughs) and so it was actually like 20, 30 feet to the right. The stake was supposed to be over there to the right, 20, 30 feet. And so, which made my ball in by 10 paces. That's a, that's a big deal because, I mean, shoot, that's two shots. And that I did have a shot to lay up from there. And it just made the whole, 
like wide open for me. I, I was, I gathered all this momentum and ended up making par on the hole, but it just breaks like that. You just never know. It, it kind of changes your, your week in a way. So we got really lucky and they had some live coverage that day. I watched later on and one of the other players ended up in the same exact spot as me later in the round. So, you know, it not only saved me, but it ended up helping out the rest of the field. So that was a good break. And how do you feel emotionally after that? Like, obviously, there's nothing worse than hit one OB, especially if you're a good tour player. Like, we, we just don't really hit it out of play. But yeah, it's fine, you know, even pick your ball up and start walking back and then get called back. I'm obviously yeah, that. that's, that's a first time for me. But <laughs> this course, the OB was really in play. Like, it was really in play on almost every hole. I heard, I heard guys saying they were hitting an OB at least once during the whole week. And I ended up hitting one out of bounds in the fourth round. Um, and I made birdie on my second ball, which is huge. So I ended up making a bogey on the hole. But I heard a lot of guys hitting – I heard a lot of guys saying to hit it out of bounds at least once, which is pretty rare. I mean, you don't really hear that too often. Yeah, and in the end, did you make it on the number or you made it one below? You were, it was pretty tight, well, wasn't it? Yeah, I made it one below. Yeah. Yeah. I thought I was going to make it on the number when I finished, and it ended up – uh, going back to one under was the cut, and I finished at two under. All right, so that's you. That's what we got to look forward to next year. Got a full, pretty full schedule. I mean, I don't think it gets you into every event, but it gives you a, a fighting chance to re rank and have a good performance and keep playing more events. So I know that's been your dream for a long time to get to the PGA, but let's backtrack and tell us how it all started. Obviously, where you grew up in California and and your amateur career and college career and why you decided to take the plunge to chase the dream of being pro. Yeah. I mean, I started playing when I was 12, played a bunch of other sports before. And so golf was the last sport I tried, which I think is important for myself because I learned to be athletic, you know, in more, in more sports. And it kind of, it transferred to golf in a way where I can look at it as from a, from an athletic perspective, more so than like mechanical or trying to be perfect. I was just out there trying to get the ball in the hole. When I first learned how to play, I didn't really have a swing coach. My first couple of years playing golf, I was just out there having fun. And I just fell in love with it. Like right away, I got instantly hooked. And being a small person, when I started playing, I was like five foot three, hundred pounds, freshman in high school, maybe eighth grader, you know, going into high school. But I was a small guy. And I, heard I, you, I heard you shot up like nine inches within a year. Is that right? I, it was like six or seven inches. <laughs> <laughs> what were you eating? I don't remember. It was, <laughs> I, it must've been like cookies or something at school that I was eating every day. But uh, yeah, I mean, it was so much fun being outside like that on my own hitting shots. But yeah, I mean, I just remember going to the summer camp that my mom signed me and my sister up for. And that was the start of it for me. So. And the other there, sports you played, were they team sports? Did you think they, golf being more individual was more fun? Yeah, I think so. Um, team sports, baseball, basketball, soccer. Uh, those were the three sports I played growing up, mostly baseball for me. And, but for some reason, like I just loved doing it all on my own. And I loved the strategy part of golf not being a big person starting out, I didn't have power as a strength. So I loved like figuring out different ways to get the ball in the hole and learning how to score. 
by using, you know, good strategy. So um, it, it was always fun to like play against bigger kids and beating them. You know, yeah. it's, it's pretty satisfying. <laughs> you couldn't overpower them like with a tackle or anything like that, or, a, you know, chase down, but I, yeah, I kind of did the same thing. I played Australian rules football and at the same time sort of started playing golf and just loved. I, I just loved that it was all on me. Like the whole golf game was on me. I couldn't make anyone look good and no one could make me look bad or anything like that. Yeah, hundred percent for sure. Um, and I just love that there's nothing given to you. Like you have to finish out every hole. You can't pick up. There's no, Oh, I can move this out of the trees, stuff like that. It really humbles you, you know, growing up. And I kind of made that part of my game. Like I kind of, kind of took it with me to the course every day, like knowing you just got to finish strong, make sure you finish the holes. Don't ever quit. Um, yeah. So it was fun to grow up playing like that and playing, started playing junior events and I got pretty good, pretty fast. Like I remember shooting 89 in my first junior event when I was 13. And when I was 15, I ended up shooting like a 65 in a, in a junior event. So I, there was something in those two, three years where I really learned quickly. I hope you won that one. No, I didn't. I don't think I did. (laughs) I think I shot seven over the first day and then seven under, but it's a good bounce back. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I just got better and better. It's harder to shoot really low after being in the sixties, right? You just learn how to be more consistent. And that's what I try to do. And I was a late bloomer because I did start a little late. And so I wasn't really recruited uh, by many big schools or any at all. Uh, There's a couple division one schools local to where I grew up that were interested, but I was only able to walk on and Cal state Fullerton finally offered me a spot with a little bit of a scholarship, like two months before school started, which is really late. A lot of kids sign like almost a year before going to school. So um, I was a late bloomer in that aspect. And so when college started, I was little 17, 18 year old, 140 pound, 5'11 kid, five foot 11 inches kid that, somehow made the qual made the starting team and just ended up playing every tournament my whole career in college. So that was pretty cool to see. And how'd you go at college? Like in your career, pretty good. Yeah. I mean, freshman year was pretty good for me. Like I was planning on redshirting right away because I was just too young. I started college when I was 17, which is really young. My birthday is October. So I was kind of like in between years and my parents just ended up starting me with school early. Um, so yeah, I started college as a 17 year old, got progressively better, had some good finishes throughout sophomore year, especially, um, didn't have like as good of a junior year as I would have liked, but my senior year was the year where I had a special run. Like I had like nine top threes out of 11 events, uh, my senior year. So, and I was, I was like through halfway through the season, I was like number three in the country in division one ranking. So that's uh, that was a pretty special year, and it gave me the confidence to know I can maybe try this at a professional level. Like and other, then, if I if I didn't have that run to senior year, I probably wouldn't have turned pro. Right, I just and didn't you have that confidence. Pretty quick, right after college or not? Yeah, so I turned pro after the summer after college. I wanted to play amateur tournaments and make sure I can like get in contention in like one or two events. That was my goal. I remember just try to be in contention. And if you are contention, get that win somewhere, wherever it may be. And I did do that. I 
played in that Sahali Players Amateur Championship. It's in Seattle. I think they still have it every year, but it's at an amazing golf course, Sahali Country Club. One of my favorite courses in the world, tree lined, thick trees, dog legs, narrow shoots through, through the tee shots, amazing green complexes. And the field was like stacked. There's, there was guys playing like Xander, uh, Bryson was playing, looking back at the field. I remember seeing all those guys out there, but I think I ended up winning by like four shots and it was a loaded field. And then that gave me the confidence to, to turn pro and all that stuff. All right. So as, as you turn pro, obviously you're not given everything. Like you said in early, you don't get things given to you. Some guys get invites and things like that. And they sort of get a little push towards their, their progress, but you had to fight it all along. I know I met you. When was that? 2018, 2000, about three years ago, 2019, I believe. 19. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we, we uh, hooked up and started to do a bit of work then, which we'll get to later on. But between then, so 2015, you turned pro. What do you do? You know, obviously start out, you don't have a card anywhere. You got to chase uh, pro-ams. And so where did you play? How did you get there? Dry, obviously you drive and you're trying to fund yourself or do you have sponsorship or is this basically you going at it? Yeah, I got extremely lucky. This doesn't happen to everyone. I got some help at the very beginning, which is always a huge thing because if you start in the hole, it's really hard to get out, especially not having a place to play on a tour. Um, there's a lot of chances to lose money if, if you're not playing well on mini tour stuff. So I went and did Latin Q school, PGA Latin America Q school, I think like January of 2015 and finished like second. So I breezed through. And I was like, oh, okay, great. I have a tour to play on with the schedule. This is going to be great. And I played, I think I played okay that year. I finished like top 60, which I kept my card and went to Q school in 2015. And I think I made it to final stage that year too. And then at final stage, I played just awful. I remember I was actually like hitting it okay, but my putting was just so bad. I, I didn't know how to putt on Florida greens yet. I think the venue was at PJ national that year. And it's like some of the grainiest greens you can ever put on coming from California where it's Poe. Um, there's no grain on Poana greens and going to Florida. I just did not know what I was doing. I think I had like seven, three putts and I missed by like seven or eight shots. So that was like really frustrating, but you just learn from that stuff. And I think I went back to Latin America in 2016, did not have a good year, was struggling and then somehow qualified for the U.S. Open that summer. And so that was like one of the coolest experiences to play as a 23-year-old, just starting golf at 12 years old in 11 years to play in a major, which is like, it's like one of my proudest things I've ever done. Um, just to see like how far I got in 11 years. And then looking back at that, knowing that 11 years since that time, I, my goal is to see how far I can get from there. So it's kind of like one of those things that you can look back on with pride and hopefully you can kind of top it after. So where was the major at? Where was the US Open at that year? It was at Oakmont. Okay. There yeah. we got something in common. That was my first major too, Oakmont. Really? You were only two when I played mine, 1994. <laughs> <clears throat> That's awesome. Yeah. Who won that year? Uh, Ernie Els won. Yeah. Okay. I got off. I was, uh, I, I shot 71, 72 the first day 
days, I was coming like seventh and Whoa. doing pretty good. But that's a great, great track. It's a good uh, initiation place for you. Yeah, for sure. Day. Was it was it good weather that week for you? Or how was the weather? Do you remember? Yeah, it was in the hundreds. It was really, really hot. Wow. It was nasty hot, actually. Wow. So when I when I went there, it was perfect weather in the practice rounds. I shot like in the mid forties the first time I played it and on the back nine, it was miserable. I was like, how am I going to freaking finish 18 holes here? <laughs> and then it rained like Wednesday night a lot and it rained Thursday too. So it actually got really soft and kind of playable, but the cut was still like eight over. I think it was nuts. Yeah. It's fascinating. Cool. You know, I grew up in Melbourne, so I played rural Melbourne a lot, which in my mind probably had the fastest greens in the world yeah. point that I'd, that I'd seen or heard of or, but you always hear the Oakmont stories and, you know, I dismissed them because I'd putted around <laughs> Melbourne a million times. But yeah. I remember my first practice round, I think I played with Frank Nobolo and Mike Harwood in a practice round. I had like a 20 footer on the first and I hit it off the green through the first cut and into the rough. So I kind of realized these greens are actually pretty quick. Like that. Yeah, for sure. I got to understand the hype about it all. So majors are awesome. I'm sure there's plenty more in the future, but let's go. Um, tell us about the, um, you know, you got on the McKenzie tour and, and I know a lot of this stuff that happened to you is, you know, you were hitting your straps and then this COVID thing happened. So that probably slowed you down a little bit and it's taken a bit of life out of the pedal to the metal stuff and sort of slowed everyone down, to be honest. But yeah. how have you dealt with that? You know, um, obviously you were playing well. You won uh, Colorado Open, which was a big one. 29 under, correct? Yeah, 29 under. 100,000. I missed, a, I missed a pitch <laughs> shot. I missed a pitch shot. I left it like two inches short on the last hole. It would have got me a 30 under, but <laughs> I remember watching that. I was away playing a member guest down at Palmetto Golf Club and I was watching the updates and you were texting me and at the end of the play and everything, I was keeping an eye on it. But that was a hundred thousand dollar check. So that uh yeah that obviously uh makes you be able to fund yourself a little bit and maybe buy a couple of new things. But yeah, that, that obviously takes uh, the pain off or the pressure off when you you know, a lot of mini tour guys are living week to week or month to month type thing because there's not a lot of money yeah. out there. So how obviously that was on your radar for a while. How did you prepare for that and make the most of it and like come through? You're talking about COVID as a whole or just like that? Week and, the, or... and the Colorado Open, like just when yeah. you, yeah, the whole, the whole thing is trying to work out yeah. the schedule, trying to see yeah. which ones you're going to play and I've got to do this or, you know, this is a big one out. How do you prepare yeah. for something that's that big when it means so much? Well, I'll just go back to like when I first met you, like Mark Hensby uh, told me about you a lot. You know, mm -hmm. I've, I've known Mark since 2017. We were both playing corn Ferry and kind of like playing practice rounds together. So I got to know him pretty well. And he always mentioned like you as a person and like how you were coaching and how maybe I should go see you. And I finally like did it and went and saw you and, I feel like what you taught me was like so huge to like, I was able to like learn from you and then I was able to make it where I can learn from myself as well. Like I, I was able to understand like what really works in the golf swing for myself. I never had that before. And so uh, just like learning your drills, it really like clicked with me and I just kept doing them ever since like the summer of 2019, when I saw you, I just kept out of 
I'm still at it right now to this day with your drills, but I just remember like the, the process of like doing drills on a day-to-day basis. Uh, it really provides some momentum for your golf game and your golf swing. And I just literally carried that into like a tournament, like the Colorado open where it kind of just like allowed me to be athletic out there and just react to like the situation in front of me. And I feel like that's why I shot 29 under, I was able to just like let it go and not worry about a golf swing that I was trying to make. I just try to hit shots and it kind of like took some pressure off of me to be honest. So, you know, when you're playing for that much money and you don't have a lot of money in your bank account, you can just fall back on what your body knows what to do. Right. And then that's what we're, that's what your drills are so good at. It kind of teaches your muscles how to move correctly. Right. And put the pressures in the correct spots without even thinking about it. So that was like really helpful for sure. Like knowing that I can just fall back on like allowing myself to react and trusting what I did in the work before just to allow it to happen. So, um, and also part of it is mental. Like there's a fine line between messing up and pulling it off at that when you're on the back nine of a tournament. Cause there's me and another guy that were neck and neck kind of running away with it. So, um, you know, there's some mental edge there that I think I had on him because of the work I did put in before. So it was a lot of credit to, you know, what you taught me too. So, um, yeah, I just got to put credit where credit's due, but no, it was, uh, it was, it was very satisfying to pull that one off for sure. If you're serious about better golf, check out my eBooks available at bradleyhughesgolf.com. My first book, The Great Ball Strikers, was a hit, and it catapulted Brandon Todd back into the spotlight of the game and winning back-to-back PGA Tour titles. The second book, The 430 Path to Great Golf, runs you through all the drills that I use with my players and in my instruction. You too can become your own best coach. Ben Hogan, The Secrets to His Success. This new book dives deep into the secrets that Ben Hogan used and explains them in great detail. It'll be a book not to be missed. Find all my books at my website. Now back to the interview. So it's interesting stuff because you mentioned the word pressure. I always try and explain this to people. Is I love your quote for pressure. The drills, the drills of pressure involved. So you learn to actively use muscles and and a lot of instruction, especially. um, Yeah, I have a I have a hard time with mental coaches sometimes. Not not all of them. I but a few of them when I listen to them talk to one of my players or someone, I know we're not going to get along because they're talking about breathe easy and swing smooth and all this stuff, which is not what happens. So the drills sort of train you to enhance pressure and feel it. So obviously when you're out playing a tournament, you're under pressure and things are going to tighten up. You can't be loose. So is that kind of what you get now that because you trained your body in the right way to be able to swing the golf club that it didn't affect you as much when that heat was on. Yeah, exactly. Like you say, you know, we're applying pressure in our golf swing in certain areas. And when the pressure from the outside comes in, like, you know, where the pressure should go in your golf swing. That's what was huge about that situation playing in that event. And still to this day, like I still apply, you know, the drills in my practice. So I, I constantly like know what I'm doing now under pressure. So it's not like it's changing. I know what's happening now and applying the right pressures. Like it's pretty simple when you have the work done with the drills and all that. So you just kind of let it all happen and trust it 
and that's the big thing, just trusting it. Right. So, um, I think that's why I've been able to pull stuff off in golf. Like for example, like Q school this year, I made it at second stage on the number. Um, I had no bogeys my last 15 holes and I was hitting the right shots like pretty much every time. And yeah, there was a lot of pressure and a lot on the line, but I just, you know, fell back on like what I knew what I was working on was the right thing and trusting and feeling the correct pressures out there. Right. That's, that's what it's all about. And that helps you mentally too, doesn't it? Like when you know that your swing is going to react correctly, that you, you can breathe a little bit easier in your decision-making and everything. Exactly. It kind of all blends together. All right, so I'm going to go through a couple other of your wins. We talked about Colorado. You won a bunch of times on the Golden State Tour. So that's a California tour? Yeah. So that's more local for you. Seven wins, I think, from 2017 through 2021. Ten other top fives and close to 90,000. So that's a good little get-up to be able to, for the most part, stay at home and just drive to the tournament, is it? Or not? Or are they a little for bit sure. Yeah, I mean, some you have to drive and stay at a hotel, but usually you know enough people where you can stay with them. But with COVID happening, that's way harder. So Correct, yeah. it's, it's a little sketchier, to be honest. But yeah, lately, more hotels, but usually you know enough people where you can stay with them. And every one of those obviously is a step in the right direction. It's just a little bit extra confidence, a little bit extra money that you're not perspiring about the next. Yeah, time. I mean just learning how to be in contention is so priceless, right? Like you can't pay for that. You have to put yourself in that position. Like, I don't care what level you're at. You can be in the junior level, 10 year old division. And if you're putting yourself in contention, as silly as that sounds, like you're still young and still learning a lot about life, but I feel like that kind of can carry on, you know, hundred percent. Absolutely. There's no substitute for competition. And yeah. You know, yeah. So, I mean, that's why, I lo- that's why I love playing co- kind of anything I can get into is because getting into contention, like you really understand like where your game is and see if you can pull it off because it's a lot of pressure. still. I don't care who you are. Pressure is always going to be there. Now I did find an interesting one. You, uh, I believe this was on the McKenzie tour. You won the Windsor championship. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, 2018. 2018. Yeah. Now, you won't know this because there was no scoreboards or billboards out on the course or anything, but the guy that you're looking at on this Zoom call came second in the Windsor Championship in 1991. So you weren't even born yet. So we've got a little association there as well. Um, I don't remember. That's crazy. I don't remember the courses we played, but it's right across from Detroit, isn't it? Oh, yeah. It's south of Detroit, believe it or not, in Canada. That's right. And it was hot as hell. I remember playing there. But, yeah, it was actually interesting. uh, Just as a side note, the guy that I sort of worked the drills out with, John Erickson, uh, that's how I met him. We played together in the final round. He he won and I came second. No way. That's amazing. You were minus one. And then here we are, you know, 30 years later. Minus one. (laughs) Him and I have hooked up and sort of design these drills that we teach to people and yeah now you go out and win it from we probably hadn't done the drills by then we hadn't met by then but it was interesting i thought that was a funny funny side note we got yeah. a you actually got a few side notes i won't embarrass you too much but <sighs> i believe 
you're a bit of a bass guitarist and you actually used to play in a band, correct? Yep. That's, that's what I did. I still love music. Like I wish I was able to, I'm able to play more. I just haven't had the time, but I, I love music. I, I've learned how to play bass guitar when I was 12 or 13, kind of when I started playing golf too. And yeah, I mean, I just love learning stuff like that. I, I think music's amazing and I think I can implement it with into my golf swing in a way like tempo is a thing. Right. And if you can time things up in a way where it looks easy, right. You're not really trying that hard. It can, it can look really beautiful. So I think that's where music and tempo kind of comes into golf with the golf swing. And I really think there's something there with that, like learning, understanding how things time together. I think that's, that's one of the first things I write in my drill series when I send it out to people that, drill one is chord A and then we're going to do drill two is chord B and then we're going to three is C and you're going to learn to make music. So I'm absolutely useless at doing music. I have a piano in my living room. Oh, nice. And I cannot play a note. So maybe there's hope (laughs) for me. If if you said you could learn it while still playing golf, maybe I can learn it. I have one of the CD players where you put the disc in and it plays for you. You should. It's like anything else. It's really hard, but it's really rewarding. So yeah, I'm gonna I gotta have to do it. I, I yeah. like it. Maybe we can start up a band. We'll get the band back together. Too. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right. And this is um another cool thing. I you probably don't want to do it in this day and age, but one of your I read it that you wanted to or would love to be, or I don't know if you'd love to be president for a day, correct? Oh yeah, that's super interesting to me. Actually, it's probably more interesting to me now than it ever has been, you know. <laughs> with everything going on, it's kind of crazy, but yeah, I mean, just to be in a position where you're the most powerful person in the world sort of thing. I mean, that's gotta be an interesting feeling and to just like be that for a day. What I can't could you get imagine. done in one day. You probably can't get anything done in a day, <laughs> but you could probably just say yes and no to things that are coming at you. But I mean, I can't even imagine what that would feel like. So it's probably not even for me, to be honest. I'm not, I'm not about that, but just to, just to see what it feels like, you know, just it's, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Take Air Force One for a spin. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'd be kind of cool. It'll get you to a few tournaments. <laughs> yeah, seriously. All right. Now tell us about, uh, so this is interesting to me. I think it was in 2014, it was before you turned pro that you played the Dunhill Links. Is that correct? Yeah, I just turned pro. You just turned pro. Just, okay. just turned pro. So and how did you like, get in that tournament? So for people that don't know Dunhill Links, explain the format. Yeah, so I just turned pro and I had that like amazing year, my senior year of college and won like the Sahali Players Championship. And so I was like top 25 in the world amateur rankings. So I was like up there and um, very under the radar, I feel like, with my with my ranking at the time. No Walker Cup that year, so... There was no talk about that stuff, unfortunately. I was kind of bummed that I played well in the wrong year. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, with with my – that year I had right before I turned pro, I signed with an agent. It's, I hate talking about this stuff, but I signed with an agent, um, and he got me into that tournament. He said, I can get you with what you did this past year. You'll probably be able to play in this event. And so that event is – three course rotation, St. Andrews, Kings Barnes, and Carnoustie. And it's three rounds, and then there's a cut, and then you play the fourth round at St. Andrews, and it's a pro-am, so you have an amateur partner for the whole week. And, I mean, man, what an amazing experience. That is one of the coolest things I've ever done to play. 
I just remember teeing off at St. Andrews the day after my birthday. So I had just turned 22 and they're calling my name off the first tee at St. Andrews, which is like, I mean, can you, I can't, it's just the craziest things. Like what, what golf can bring to your life. You know, if you, if you do well or hang in there, like it can bring a lot of good things to you. So, I mean, just to have that moment, is like so special. How right? many rounds did you get in at St. Andrews for the week? Just two. I got there like at Sunday and didn't actually, my clubs didn't show up. I think like for a couple of days, so it was kind of a mess, but I was just so happy to be there. It was awesome. I missed I, the cut. I, I was, I was kind of on the cut line and then had to play Carnoustie in the rain third round. I had no chance. <laughs> yeah, kind of shot like seventy six. Yeah, Carnoustie especially in the rain. St Andrews is like, if you're a golf historian too, like I am, I, I love all the history of golf. I used to know who won every major and who came second and what they shot and everything. I forgot. I mean, the now. conditions of the course are just unreal. You know, it's so firm and tightly compact underneath the grass. I had a hard time chipping. I was just like, screw it. I'm going to putt everything. I mean, that's awesome. That's a good play out there, but absolutely. You know, it's interesting. And so it I've was only ever, I've only ever played St. Andrews once. Okay. And I was 17 years old. I won the Doug Sanders tournament over here in, or not over here. I'm in America growing up in Australia. And <laughs> the, um, the prize was to go play in Aberdeen, Scotland for the world championship. And I went over a week early and played at Glen Eagles and, couple other places and I played at St Andrews and I was 17 and I still can't believe that's the only time I've ever played there I never qualified for an open there and I've never played yeah. on hill and I've never really had a chance to play it again I, I better do it before I kick the bucket I gotta get back there and play <laughs> one more time because it's such a great the town is just unbelievable I have been back to St Andrews when I played at Carnoustie but yeah Scotland you know I've probably spent six seven months of my life maybe more and just in Scotland and it it's just a freak show. It's awesome. Everything just the whole town is is golf orientated. Oh yeah. History. One hundred percent. Yeah. And it's just amazing. Like I, I wish I was a little older just to appreciate it even more. But I knew what I was going to to see. It was just like wow. It was just like it was just amazing. I, I don't even know how to explain it. You know, that's where maybe golf the open championship next year and get back there and get a bunch of rounds in. <laughs> Yeah, how do I qualify for that? What's the easiest way? <laughs> Win three corn ferry events and get on tour. Okay, I'll do that. <laughs> That'll nearly get you in the top 50 in the world if you can do that. There you go. That's true. That's true. Got to have a plan. Don't tell anyone your plans. I just sort of gave that away. <laughs> All right, so, um, you know, obviously you've done well playing the stuff. You've survived and you've worked on it. And, and the reason I keep saying this is, this is more of a podcast for the the guy that wants it, you know, that is not quite there yet, but there is light at the end of the tunnel for everyone. And you've stepped along as you've gone. What do you, what is, um, what do you plan? You know, what do you wish for from the next corn ferry season? Obviously we all want to win and endure thing. Is it more about experience taking another step forward or you want to go the whole hog and get in that top yeah. 25 and get your card? Yeah, well, I played a full year on the Corn Ferry Tour in 2017. I somehow finished in the top 40 in 2016 Q School. I remember I shot like a, a random like 67. I had no business shooting like a low round at the final round at Q School in 2016. I, I remember like I pitched in 
and like had another chip in, like made a couple of long putts. I was like, okay, this is like crazy them that I'm pulling this off and got full status. And I just remember going the year I was not really ready like to, to play well. Like I felt like my game was close to being good enough, but my iron play was just horrendous that year. Like I, I knew I was never a great iron player, which has changed recently. But I remember that year, all my stats were like pretty good. Driving was pretty good. Putting was pretty good scrambling all that good stuff and then my iron play I was like way on the bottom of the list in the in the statistics so that really like kind of hurt to see that and I finished like 98th on the money list and so like I just knew that that's that's the main thing for me is if, I, if my irons are good I can compete out there for sure and compete on the PGA tour I believe so I feel like I've done that my iron play is just way better now I can control my ball flight trajectory um, I can control the bottom of my arc, like how you always talk about. I think it's just like that's one of the biggest things in iron play is controlling where you hit the ground uh, with, the, with the bottom of the club. So um, I'm just really excited to get out there this year and, and put my new game to the test. Like I really think I can do some damage out there this year. So I'm really excited, but I'm, I know that I do have everything under control and I have like a neat game plan every week to where I know if something does go wrong, I actually do know how to fix it. Maybe it won't be fixed like the next round, but I know there's a progression to be made, whether it's a, it'll take a day or a week. I just know how to do that now. And, and there's a lot of maturity that has happened since 2017. So um, you just learn from it, right? And you just take it as a positive. You have to take those all these experiences as positives and learn from it. So. I'm just excited to get out there. I know I can play well. So just try to put myself in contention early and then go from there. If I can win one or two right away, who knows? Like you never know what's going to happen. You can't control all results, but just uh, have that mindset of like being ready to win. So that's, that's my game plan. For and sure. you're not prone to winning because you've done it. You know, you've done it several times over the last few years. And most of the time when you do get in contention, you won. So that's like you said early on, it's a learning experience and you, you, you're doing it at whatever level. It doesn't matter. So it shouldn't be any different. Obviously, the quality of players may be deeper as you progress. Exactly, but, yeah. But you've done it and I think there's great comfort in that. Uh, and I know that was with, when I worked with Brendan Todd and he got back in contention, he it didn't panic because he, he goes, I've done this. I, I know how to do it. I just, yeah. I just got to get there again. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Now with the PGA tour, is it, I think you've only played maybe two events on the PGA or, and the U S open. So yep. Safeway and the, the Phoenix. I know last year you qualified Monday qualified for the Phoenix open came close to making the cut. So yeah, for, that was, a, that was an important week for me, actually. I mean, I, you know, I was, I've been working with you off and on, right. For since 2019. And that was like, you know, 20, 2020 happened and there's no Q school, which is super depressing for all of us. Right. I mean, you could not move up or down and that, that kind of took a toll. I remember talking to players about it. Like this sucks. Like you cannot move up or down. It's just brutal. Like that's what golf's all about is getting that chance to, to, you know, make, make your opportunity happen. So, and there was um, none. And there was no opportunity, which is just brutal. I mean, not just in golf, but like in most other things in life, but 
um, to money, to money for that was like huge for me. I, I feel like I needed that. Right. Um, and I get to the course Tuesday and Brooks Kepka just walks up right behind me. I'm like playing by myself in the practice run, ready to tee off on the first hole. And he just walks up behind me. Um, he's like, Hey, mind if I join you? And me and my cat are like looking at each other like, uh, yeah, come on ahead. <laughs> We're not going to say no to you. So yeah. Uh, why don't you just join us? So I played with him. It was just me and him for nine holes. And that was like, that's priceless for me right there. Like I, I'm going to learn from that day playing with him nine holes um, and just really, really take what I, what I learned from that because he ended up winning that week. And just to see how he walked around and how his mannerisms were, it wasn't even like his golf game that I was impressed about as everything else. You could tell there was like something in his, in his eyes there. He was pretty fiery, ready to, ready to win again. And, and then he won, which is pretty impressive. So um, that was huge to like, like it almost didn't matter like how I played in the event. I really thought I was going to make the cut. I just had like a really bad break on the final nine of my second round, but I was like right on the cut line and then made a random bogey. But that those nine holes was like really important for me career wise, I think just to play with someone like that, you know, four time major champion. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Get I'm over here just Monday qualifying. So. That's right. And how did they treat you on 16? Anyone yell anything? They come up with some fancy words or song for you. <laughs> there wasn't as many fans this year. I mean, <laughs> COVID kind of ruined that, but there were still like 5,000 fans in the stand. So I hit the green the first round to like 15 feet. I was really happy with it. Missed it. And then the second round, missed the green with a wedge, of course. Got booed. And they're, they're booing, which is pretty funny. And I lipped out my chip shot. I thought I made a two from off the green. I thought they were going to go crazy, but that was, a, that was such a cool experience to play that hole. You really do hit it further on that hole. It's weird. Like you hit it at least half a club further. It's kind of crazy. I remember I had like 150 on the second round hit pitching wedge. Like I don't hit pitching wedge that far. It's just just the way it is. I don't know what it is, but it's just the adrenaline. It's fun. Coliseum. Yep. It's a lot of fun. All right, so give, us a, give us a heads up on your upcoming schedule. When's it all start? How are you going to prepare for it? And first event and what's going to happen from that? Yeah, it starts January 16th is the first round of the Bahamas first uh, event of the season. So that is what, five, six weeks from now. So I got, a tournament coming up next week actually in Florida that I'll play in. So that'll be a good like prep for the, for the season and just keep doing what I'm doing. There's no reason for me to change anything right now. So I just have like a routine that I go through at home with my practice schedule and workout schedule and even like eating schedule. Like I'm trying to eat like properly and all that stuff. Right. I, I want to be like mentally ready as well. So, um, and it's going to be a long season. So just make sure I'm pacing myself even right now in a way um, don't overdo it. That's a big one for me, just making sure you're steady with everything you're doing. For me, like if I do that, I can build momentum. And that's the best way for me to build into the beginning of the season. So that's kind of my game plan. It's a fascinating thing you just said. I, I sort of tell people this all the time. One of the hardest things to do as a golfer is to keep doing the same thing. Because when something goes amiss, we all want to mess around and change something up or but I, I love the way that you just sort of explain. You just, you know how to fix it. You're sticking to 
pretty much the same principles and you just have to work it out, which is easy because it's not a, uh, you know, square peg in a round hole type thing. It's this is that and this is that and then I'll get it back again. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, the drills are a part of my process. Like I'm whacking the bag whenever I can when I'm home. So it's, it's an important part of my practice. Now, if you had an Air Force One, you could take that with you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hard to put that excess baggage on a, a plane. Can't take the bag with you. It's hard well, to travel with the bag, so I've been, I've just been whacking my golf travel bag. <laughs> I just put pillows in that. It's pretty. Yeah. It's pretty good, actually. It works. Improvise. Yep, exactly. All right. Well, I hope people found this interesting. I'm sure there's always some um, little things we can learn from everyone. I love the progression that you've made. I love the confidence in your voice and the way that you've been playing so yeah thanks so i've come a long way i've come a long way since i saw you first so it's been <laughs> it's been fun for me i mean i don't know about you but i definitely got a lot better since that first lesson so it's been it's been great no i always used to get a kick i'd, I'd be retweeting the heck out of anything you did so it's fun, <laughs> it's fun to watch when you know obviously i'm not the one doing it but i've just sort of given you a bit of a plan but it's always yeah. up to the golf i'm just the info guy and it's up to the golfer if they want it and work at it, they're going to get it. So I'm 100% glad that you have and you're reaping the rewards. Oh, thanks. Appreciate it. No, it's Next been year we'll to... do this all again. With, yeah, 100%. With you about to go to Hawaii for the first tournament of the PGA Tour. Yeah, that'd be great. That's sh- Hopefully that'll happen next year. That'd be awesome. You got it, mate. Well, that's it for another episode of Bradley Hughes Golf Podcast. For more information about my golf instruction, check out my website, bradleyhughesgolf.com. If you like to watch golf videos to make you a better player, sign up for my members-only site, bradleyhughesgolf-members.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.